This is such a noble, noble practice to me because you're literally helping people get out of their own way. You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Robbie Spear Miller, the host of the Hypnosis Show podcast. And today I'm really excited to welcome a, a guest who's going to tell us about what neuroscience has taught us about how we can use hypnotic marketing strategies to help people. And with what we do with hypnosis, sometimes we're helping people make decisions to buy something. People use this for sales. We also use it to help people make decisions to lose weight or stop smoking or make other important life changes for themselves. And so these strategies work no matter what you're using it for. And so I'm really excited to hear more about what the neuroscience says and what, what our guest is using to um, make this work in a powerful way. Using neuromarketing strategies, aka hypnosis, our guest grew an alternative investment company to a trading volume of $100 million daily. He now trains some of the most famous and powerful people in the world in these strategies. Let's welcome Les Evans. Hello. Thank you for having me, Robbie. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So first, I think it would be really interesting for people to know about, a little bit about your background. I know as you and I were talking earlier, you mentioned that intuitively you discovered some of these strategies just from trial and error and observing people, which is a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about how you discovered these strategies intuitively in your career. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's a terrific question, and I love this topic. I mean, this is a real passion of mine, so I'm really excited to share some of these uh, goodies with your audience. So if I went to rewind back, way back, uh, one of my first passions was music, and in fact, I became a professional musician. And uh, as a singer and entertainer, you really have to pay attention to how you're affecting your audience, because it's all about the audience reaction. So I think just, you know, you're kind of bor maybe born with that intuitively. I don't know. I would always be very mindful of the response I was getting for the audience. And then later on, as I got into business and started to do sales presentations, and many of us have to do presentations of some kind or another. You know, we're, we're all salespeople at the end of the day. I don't care if you're trying to sell your kids or needing their vegetables. <laughs> There's some selling going on all the time. And so I just, you know, would pay attention to what would work and what would not work. But I never could really figure out why. At the same time, I started building a list of tricks in my head that would seem to work in different situations. I was always very mindful of that. And so when I started my investment company, I put together a sales presentation and I figured out very quickly I'd be more effective if I've talked to like 10 people at a time or 50 or 100 at a time giving the same 90-minute speech. I mean, it's just much more efficient. So when I started to work with bigger audiences, I started to get very, very effective at influence and persuasion, which is what we're in the business of. 
I mean, if we want to move people to change, we have to move them from a position of more to less. And that's a really complex process, you know, because some people want to fight you on that. <laughs> they say they want to change, as you know, but sometimes they don't. My real fascination was when the people would not take action, why they weren't buying into what I was proposing. And most sales and marketing training, for example, is all geared towards why people buy. I was more fascinated why they didn't. That was the real question. Like, that was the real crux of it. Why aren't they taking action? And so fast forward many years later, about three years ago, I was doing a business training session in Sydney, Australia, and I ran into a young man. He's about 24 years old. And I'd been speaking professionally all over the world for the past seven years in 24 countries and 78 cities. I mean, I've had a real blessed life in terms of getting out and uh, meeting lots of people. And so this young guy wanted to become a professional speaker like me. And I was fascinated by what he did. And I said, what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a professor at the University of Melbourne, and I teach neuromarketing. I was like, what's that? <laughs> and so what I got introduced into was the science of neuromarketing. And it's actually how our brain works in terms of decision making and assessing things. And so there was a whole science behind it. And when I first really got into it and he started teaching me, this stuff. And I went hog wild. I think I've acquired a PhD in this stuff in the last three years. And it's if you want to understand why people do things and why sometimes their decisions make no sense, you've come to the right place. Because what we've learned through neuroscience and what neuroscience has changed is up until about 15 years ago, most of what we knew about psychology was just based on guesswork observation, because we couldn't literally x-ray the brain, at least not when somebody was really living. And so thanks to the invention of like an MRI machine, magnetic resonance imaging, we can now identify which parts of the brain are doing what precisely. And what we've discovered through neuroscience is that 95% of all decision-making is made in the primal brain subconsciously. So that's a massive game changer because once you understand that it's like unlocking the key to the mind and everything, it, you know, I always said sometimes if you ask people why they made a specific decision, you're asking the wrong part of the brain because the, this part of the brain, which is the logical brain, your rational brain is only 5% of the decision-making process. And you cannot reason with people to make change. It doesn't work that way. In fact, the more you try and reason and use logic, this part of the brain will talk you out of the sale. <laughs> so right. this, was, this was like an amazing, amazing insight. And so today, particularly when everybody's online and our brains are flooded with information, uh, the question is, how do you have influence? How do you cut through all that noise? and have impact because, you know, our smartphones, a lot of people don't know this, but today we literally scroll the entire length of the Empire State Building every day. That's how much information we're taking in. And this, this brain pan here, as smart as it is, is slow and it's a real gas guzzler. It uses like tons of oxygen and glucose. And that's why you'll, you'll see people today just go into overwhelm almost immediately because they're just too overwhelmed with too much information. So if we can use the emotional side of the brain, 
the primal part of the brain, we can move people to action much more quickly and with a lot less friction and we get a lot less of this, I want to think about it kind of stuff. <laughs> so there's there's my opening statement on it. I hope that makes sense to you. Well, it so. sure does. And, and the thing is that because the internet is such a big part of people's lives these days and in a big way how we reach people, how do we... Mm-hmm. Um, implements that what we know works which is getting people to connect emotionally getting them to know why it really matters to them to change um what with digital uh media to do that and so because once we meet with them in person then we have the intuitive hypnotic skills to help them and how do we translate that to working with people online it's really um, an interesting question to do effectively. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's a couple of things you brought up. Uh, first of all, you mentioned about connecting emotionally. That is incredibly important because what they've discovered, and in fact, it, it just the name of the fellow escapes me, but well, he was a brain scientist. And what he found out is that people who have brain impairments that literally do not have emotions because of brain damage, for example, cannot make decisions. So what this tells us is you must be emotionally engaged to make decisions. Now, our typical training is, well, make sure you have the facts and the fixtures and you're trying to reason with people and show them the logical way and this makes sense. And you do need that. It is a necessary component because the brain needs three different things uh, to really you know, get the message across. But having people emotionally engaged is absolutely critical. And the reason for that is, is we are human mirrors. We have something called mirror neurons, mirror neurons. And what's really interesting, and this is, this was another thing that fascinated me. If you have doubts, inner doubts subconsciously about what you do, those neurons will reflect to the other person and they will pick up your self-doubt subconsciously, whether you like it or not. So the internal work, the inner work has to be there for us to move people forward. We literally have to walk our talk because we ain't fooling nobody. <laughs> That's right. And, and that really raises the the point that we really want to dovetail outcomes that if we're doing marketing and sales, we want it to, to the people who are deciding to um, buy services, it really needs to be in their interest to do it. And we need to, to be really clear in ourselves about that and clear that we can deliver on what we're thing we can do for them and so being congruent yep. about everything is people people do pick up on all kinds of things without even realizing it mm-hmm. yeah that it, it's absolutely huge and you know here's if if i could impart one simple formula everyone you meet and we're all wired the same i mean i've been all over the world aside from cultural differences and things like that we're pretty much all the same uh, when it comes to how the brain operates. So there's like three parts. We have the logical part of our brain right here. This is the newest part of the brain. And uh, that does all the heavy lifting, the calculus. And it can think in terms of present and past and future, which is interesting. Then we have the mammalian brain, which is our very much our feeling, emotional brain. You know, that's where your great artistry comes out, all of our emotions. And then the primal part of the brain, which is technically called the amygdala, <laughs> it is interested in survival and status, survival and status. 
And what it's doing every single time, anytime we meet somebody, it's immediately asking subconsciously, are you a friend or are you a foe? Are you a friend or a foe? Because our primal brain is very, very afraid of losing resources. So resources are really simple to understand. They're time, money, uh, relationships, uh, health, obviously, and that health can be physical health and mental health, and also strategically. Are you a strategic threat to my family or to my work? And so everyone we meet, the primitive brain is automatically going, what can you do for me? It's very, very selfish. And also the primal primitive brain can only think in terms of present. It can't think in terms of future or past. So this is why I was kind of uh, laughing with my wife yesterday. I said, when you tell somebody, don't forget to do this, all the primal brain hears is forget. <laughs> it, it only stands present commands. It can't think in terms of future, and it cannot think in terms of what not to do. It can only think in terms of what you can do. And I'm sure you, you know, your audience probably knows this. But for those who don't in, when it comes to selling, so I'm saying it's remember to get the carrots. <laughs> Or remember the carrots. <laughs> mm. And so st once you gain that understanding that you need to know you have to engage all three parts of the brain to move somebody forward, things are really, really going to change. And the way I do that is really simple. Now, today, obviously, with all this going on in the world, I think people have perhaps two substantial worldviews. There are people that are very fearful worldview right now. And some would say that's justified. And then, you know, the people have a very hopeful worldview, and then some are kind of in between in the middle. But you cannot get somebody to affect change when they're stuck in a fearful worldview. And so the way we do that in neuromarketing is creating belief, likability, and trust. When people believe you, they become more hopeful to the future. So you can move them from this worldview to the to a bigger, better life, a better you, a better future. If they like you, they will listen. If they trust you, they will buy or buy into what you're doing. And every one of those things can be created uh, without talent. They're all learnable. They're learnable skills. You can create belief systematically. You can create likability. A, a smile is, the, like a genuine smile is the fastest way to likability, by the way. So much so that I've told business people in the past, fire anyone in your business that if they deal with customers, fire them if they don't smile because they're costing you a fortune. <laughs> and then, of course, trust can be built uh, very scientifically, too. There's a lot of different techniques in that. But it believe, like BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato, that's the way I, that's the way I remember it. Mm. So belief, likability, and trust. Yeah. And one of the things that sometimes we see with clients is that they also need to trust themselves. They need to believe they can do it because sometimes, you know, they, they might see, wow, all these other people have lost weight or stopped smoking or built a really successful business, but they don't trust they can do it. And so they're, they're, it's being able to get them out of that kind of self-sabotage that can make a big difference too. Well, you just hit a really important point that I was going to get to. And uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. A lot of business people don't know this. 
So if you're in a sales or marketing situation, for example, the number one reason you're losing sales or the one that got away or they didn't, you know, take action is because they have a limiting, either a false assumption or a false belief or a limiting belief. And those fall under many, many categories. But the one you're talking about is an identity belief. Yeah, that'll work for you, but I don't know if it's going to work for me, right? (laughs) That's what you just said. So the interesting thing, and I found this out, it was actually my neuroscientist friend who pointed it out to me because we were doing a stage presentation together. And he said, what's that thing you're doing there? And I said, what do you mean that thing? He goes, well, you're always saying, now you guys might be thinking, or I know what you're thinking, or you may be thinking, I know what you're thinking. And I said, I don't know. It's just a technique I came up. He goes, do you realize you're bringing up every limiting belief that they have and you're just obliterating it? And I went, well, no, I never thought of that. And he goes, here's what we, from neuroscience, what we've learned is uh, one of the greatest fears of the primitive brain is to be embarrassed. That's why people don't like public speaking. Because if you make a fool of yourself, your status goes down in society and nobody wants to hang around you and you're not loved and you're shunned. So we're always trying to perverse, uh, preserve status. And that's, you know, when you ask people, hey, you got any questions? Nobody wants to raise a question because the primal brain is afraid of losing status. So what happens is if you're in a room, for example, people may have questions or they may have subconscious doubts and fears. And if you if they have them, but you don't raise them, you've lost the sale. So contrary to most salespeople, the most sales training is always saying, don't say anything negative. Don't bring up objections. That's completely wrong. <laughs> you want to bring up the elephant in the room. So they go, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So I, I would always say to the audience, Now, you may be thinking, oh, that's great, Les. That'll work for you. But how do I know that's going to work for me? And everybody in the audience is like, this guy is like a mind reader. So I've found a way that when I work at any clients in any business, we make a list of all the subconscious and false beliefs. And most businesses have about 25 of them. And we address them. And you see amazing change once that happens. Incredible. That's a powerful, powerful tool. If you're in any kind of business where you're running into these things, sit down and make a list of all, even if you think it's silly, it's not silly to the other person (laughs) because it's a real, it's a real concern. And they nine times out of 10, some people will be brave enough to raise their objections, but objections are usually resources like time, money, relationship, I'm too busy, too skinny, too fat, not fat enough, (laughs) whatever. But the real, the subconscious stuff, the self-doubt stuff, it's up to you to raise those points. And if you do, your conversion rate, your success rate will increase generally by about 33%. It, It makes a tremendous difference working with people. This is such a noble, noble practice to me. Because you're literally helping people get out of their own way. 
which is a large part of what you do. And so from the scientific sense, I'm telling you why that works and why it's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So what I would love to know more about is what kind of tips you have for engaging with people online and getting them to go through this, this process of feeling confident in their decision without even having interaction with you. So what, what kind of tips do you have to help people with that? Well, I mean, like I said, the, the number one thing, particularly if you're online, is, and I cannot emphasize this enough, is having a big, beautiful, natural smile. And there's an actual uh, word for that. It's called a Deshane smile. And that's where your eyes crinkle up. I know everybody doesn't want the crow's feet, but crow's feet are a very good thing. Smiles, this is fascinating because I saw some of the work done by uh, Professor Amy Cuddy at... Uh, Harvard Business School. And what we find is when we smile, we have all sorts of amazing hormonal things going on, like our, our dopamine goes up, the oxytocin goes up, uh, testosterone goes up for men, estrogen goes up for women, serotonin increases. So we have all these amazing feel-good hormones. But the most amazing thing is because we are human mirrors, when I smile with a natural smile, I actually increase your hormones. So when you project this natural smile, the first thing it does is it lowers threat. It lowers threat. Because remember, the primitive primary brain is always looking for threat. And I see this all the time at the grocery store. You know, of course, now we don't, people in and out of masks, of course. But when you see people on the street, they're generally just kind of looking at you, well, is this a friend or a foe? You know, it's, there's always that reticence, that hesitation. But the minute you crack a smile, they're like, oh, okay, he's okay. He's not a psychopath. <laughs> so, and it's, it's incredibly powerful because I've actually gone into businesses like restaurants, for example, and taught their staff to smile. Like, a, And here's how, the, here's how to do a proper smile. If it hurts, you're doing it correctly. <laughs> you've heard that expression smile till it hurts if you're smart like if it really hurts the jaw then you're doing it correctly that's a great big hollywood smile you know the million dollar smile and as i was mentioning i went into a restaurant a friend of mine his restaurant we taught all the servers and staff to smile on purpose we said well we kind of rigged the game because we said we're going to give all of you a hundred dollar bonus this week cash if you do this silly experiment, because the restaurant guy is a good friend of mine. He's like, are you sure this is going to work? I said, yes, I'd, I'll bet real money on it. And here's what happened. Literally within the first week, their sales increased 33% and the tips doubled for the servers. And within eight weeks, they doubled the amount of regulars and the tips tripled. That's how powerful a smile is. Because it does all this stuff. When people feel good, you know, a lot of change happens. So you're moving people into a much more, you're lowering the risk of threat. You connect instantly with an audience. I've been in crowds as big as 3,000 people. And I, because I train myself, the very first thing I do walk on stage is this massive, oh my God, I'm so overjoyed to see you. When you, when you approach people with that kind of joy, they're, their subconscious kicks into gear the same way if you have like a pet dog. You know, dogs literally just jump out of their skins when they see their owners. 
And I know this sounds like really simple, but it is made a profound, a profound effect on the way people interact with you. If you fall in love with your audience, they will fall in love with you. And that includes being one-on-one. I, I love, I purposely get engaged and fascinated with other people. And when people find out that you're fascinated by them, a whole world of possibility opens up because you're connecting on a very, very deep, not only emotional level, but a subconscious level. And when people have that level of trust, so I'm saying that simple little thing, I tell people like there is a reason entertainers are coached to smile. This is like because there's millions of dollars on the line, and it when you create that deep relationship, then you can do that work and move people forward from less to more. So that's very simple, but I cannot under uh, underscore that enough. It is so powerful, and when people do it, my friend's a hairstylist. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I don't believe." I said, "Phil, try it for one day and see what happens." He goes, "Oh my God, my tips tripled today." Told you. <laughs> so, yeah, powerful stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And it really also shows how, you know, with the work that we do, we need to sometimes uh, help people grow and hold them accountable. And so we need to feel that sense of uh, security and groundedness and confidence in ourselves and loving the person, no matter what they're going through, no matter what's happening, they need to feel that from us so that they can uh, get the message of where we're going with things. So the smile is a start to that, but it's really being externally aware and truly caring about people. And there are a lot of people that care about people, but they're too self-conscious and they're too unsure of themselves to be able to express it. Because if we're sub, we're self conscious, it's it's kind of hard to fall in love with other people or pay attention to them. Well, you brought up a really interesting point. I um I actually have started teaching these strategies to entrepreneurs a bit, basically anyone who wants to learn. And I said, likability, as I mentioned, when people like you, they will listen. If they trust you, they will buy into what you're doing. And so I teach people seven steps on how to become likable, for example. And one of those things, which is really simple, because you're probably familiar with the term confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you've heard of that before. We have all these biases because our brains are just too lazy, basically, because <laughs> uh, there's too much information. But confirmation bias is simple for anyone to understand. It's basically whatever your beliefs are, you will always find evidence to support those beliefs. So if you believe the world is a mean and nasty place, you're going to find plenty of evidence (laughs) to support that. But if you believe that it's a good place, you're going to find lots of evidence to support that too. So one of the things I've taught people in terms of a likability strategy is when you're working with the client, yeah, they might not be your favorite cup of tea, but if you on purpose look for something good, some redeeming quality that appeals to you personally, on a very deep, uh, tangible, honest, uh, authentic way, you will start to peel back stuff 
And you'll start to kind of fall in love with that aspect of that person, which really opens up that communication network. You know, most people are very superficial. If you've got nice blue eyes, they'll say, wow, I love your eyes. You know, thanks. I've never heard that before. (laughs) But if you find something that is particularly fascinating to you that you truly appreciate, wow, because then you're noticing the distinct and something unique that most people don't see because they're too self-interested. So neuromarketing is really using the word you, putting the focus on you, using the word you. And that is really critical in communication. I, I got a message on LinkedIn the other day, some gentleman I didn't know, he wrote me five paragraph message. And I went through there and I did a word audit. And what I found is he used the word me, my, I, two and a half times more than he said the words you. And the first four paragraphs said nothing about me whatsoever. And then the last fifth paragraph, he finally said, "Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you give me 15 minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. So it was not a personal criticism, but it's most of the time our communication is very what I call egocentric. It's all about how great we are and our credentials and our achievements. And how to, People don't care about that. The primal brain is saying, what can you do for me in terms of a result? So whether you're in your practice and what you're doing or working, you know, selling what you do, it really has to be focused on the word you. What does this mean to you? So if you sell homes, don't tell people, well, I sell, what do you do? I sell houses. No, no, no. You have to be specific and say, well, what, what will be the message I can say? I sell you your dream house is going to go a lot further than just a blanket statement like, well, you know, I sell cars or something like that. Yeah, yeah. We talk a lot about that too here. So yes, a lot of this sounds very familiar. Yeah. This is, well, you're going to see a lot of that kind of cross-pollination. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that I think would be really interesting to explore is, is we talk about how what motivates people to change isn't because they're comfy. They either are going through a sense of uh, pain, right? They're, they're afraid mm-hmm. of losing something yep. or they want more in their life, right? So we yeah. talk about people are either motivated by guilt, pain or loss or greed, exclusivity or gain. So talk more about how you address that in terms of neuromarketing? Well, again, another great question. Um, I used to say that, particularly because I work with so many business people, but the interesting thing is I'd always say, if you you show me a business problem, I'll show you a people problem. If you fix the people problem, you'll fix the business problem. So I'd ask the business person, I'd say, are you stuck good or are you stuck bad? And they go, well, what does that mean? I said, well, if you're stuck bad, it means things are really going wrong. And if you don't change something, you're going to be in a world of hurt. That's stuck bad. Stuck good is I'm doing well, but I'm stuck because I want more and I don't know how to get there. (laughs) And so, um, again, fear of embarrassment, fear of loss, of course, is a huge thing to the primal brain. And the way we use that is, and I'm sure it's probably the same thing, it's consequential thinking. Because the primal brain can't think in terms of consequences. So we have to make that connection and say, listen, if you don't change this, what is going to happen? So we have to kind of poke the primal brain, the pain center, and say, look, you're doing these behaviors now. 
what's going to, if you continue on this course, what is going to happen? Now, we don't want to make a statement. I don't want to say, if you continue to do this, here's what's going to happen to you. Because when you make a statement to the primal brain, the primal brain is going to say, yes, no, maybe so. Start, it'll start fighting you. When you ask a question, and this is the phenomenal thing, and I'm sure you've discovered this, questions lead, of course. Because when you answer a question, you're answering in your own truth. You can dispute my truth if I make a statement. But if I ask you a question, if you continue to do this, what will be the outcome? Blah, 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 blah. That's your truth. That's And you are in your conscious mind shifting from the primal brain now to the logical brain and going, oh my God, alarm, you know, here's the alarm. I need to take action. And that's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And I, again, discovered that working with some business clients. I had one client, uh, he's like, here's my business problems. I said, okay, do this, do this, do this, and that'll solve your problem. And we were at a big high-level executive retreat in Thailand, like $15,000 a person for this thing. And he's, he's a big, big, huge six-foot-five South African man, very strong South African accent. And he, on the third day, he came to me and he said, Les, I need to talk to you. I'm very unsatisfied with the progress we're making here. <laughs> this is my mimicry. <laughs> and I was so exhausted. So I just I told him to sit down, and I literally yelled at him. But instead of telling him what to do, I said, let me ask you a question. If you continue to do this and this and this and this, what do you think is going to happen? And he went. And that was the other interesting thing. I found that. My sister, for example, is a psychologist, a therapist, and I thought to change people, you had to go about it in a very clinical way, very professional, et cetera. What I discovered was the exact opposite. When I got really up into people's faces, if it was appropriate, because you have to be emotion appropriate, but it wasn't until I got fully engaged emotionally and then brought out high-powered penetrating questions that we got real results because that's what pokes that part of the brain. We've got to get, we got to trigger the trigger the fight, flight or flight response to get them moving. And in fact, to answer your question, uh, Robbie, I actually created an entire brain chart which shows what the primitive brain wants and what it does not want. And there's about 30 different items. I don't think anybody's written one before like this. So I'll, I'll have to send it to you. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I would. you can go in there and you can immediately see what the heck's wrong. Oh, so that's why they're not doing it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, th that example is great, and it shows how we need to in hypnosis. If we want people to go into a certain state of mind, we need to go there first. So if we want them to actually feel the pain of their problem, we need to feel it first. And yes. then ask the question. And and the way that you used your voice and your body language is and and how you were feeling is what helped him experience that. Yeah. And again, the science behind that is the mirror neurons. And I'd learned that as a performer again, just observing. And I went, I because you get frustrated when you're a performer and you're you're learning your way up and you're going. The, the old joke would always be, oh, I wonder if it's going to be a good audience today or a bad audience. And what I learned was there's no such thing. There's only a good or bad performer. If the performer puts themselves in state, then the audience will get in state. It's not the audience's job to get in state. You, of course, you know what I mean by 
state, of course. Mm-hmm. Your, like you said, your emotions, your physiology, all those different things. But it was up to me to get into state first. And it, it's like saying to some, you can't have somebody fall in love with you unless you're in love. You know, what am I going to say to my wife of 30 years? Gee, hun, I really like you. that's going to fall completely flat. So yeah, you have to really go there. And I don't think sometimes people give themselves permission because we live in a very, you know what, conformity, this is the strangest thing. We need conformity for society to exist. At the same time, the people who change the world are not conformists. And so we're a lot of times very afraid to be emotional. I get that with business people, especially they're like, oh, you don't understand. I'm a doctor and I have to be professional. I go, no, you're still a human being. And I've I've railed away at doctors who make a million dollars a year and just giving them hell. (laughs) And and we're not used to being talked like that. And I go, that's why you never change anything. So Mm. yeah, giving yourself that permission to let go and really connect. And again, you lose your fear when you focus on the other person. Like public speaking, the reason people get afraid is because they're being selfish. They're focused internally instead of focus on how can I help you? I'm here to save your life. If, if there's a car accident out front, I'm not going to worry about lights, camera, action. It's my job to help save your life. We'll worry about the makeup and the hair afterwards for the interview. <laughs> I might be a little silly here, but I like to tell stories like that just to illustrate. So, yeah, that's that's great. And and so yes, yeah, so self consciousness is being selfish, not on purpose. It's coming from fear. But the more we can get people to be curious about other people and focused on and passionate about helping them get what they need, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know. I keep rediscovering this for myself because all of us, I think, is particularly last year and a half, have gone through periods of fears and doubts and don't know what's going on and get miserable because our businesses have been really effective for people who run businesses. And, but the fastest way out of that depression is to help somebody else. I mean, the minute you start helping somebody else, you, you're, everything changes. You get the focus off the internal, uh, woe is me and all this stuff. But the minute you help somebody else, all of that stuff changes. And again, such a simple little thing, but it's powerful. It's really Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, what other tips do you have for us? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, um, and again, I kind of go from a business standpoint, but it's all communication-wise. And so one of the things we've learned is the primal brain loves pictures and stories, of course. And it can process pictures and stories 60,000 times faster than text. In fact, the primal brain cannot read text. It can't. So what's really interesting is I'm starting to see really, really big companies are really into neuromarketing these days because they know they have just seconds to catch your attention. Now, I don't watch TV. I, I watch YouTube channel on my TV sometimes. And you'll see these quick little like literally five second ads. And you're thinking, who can even absorb that? But the thing is, the primal brain has already absorbed it before you understand it. And that was another thing I learned from my neuroscientist friend. We would flash images, you know, when you do a PowerPoint presentation, for example, and we'd flash images as we're talking and there'd be no text. And the audience would say, well, wait, so hold, go back to that slide. I missed it. And they go, no, you didn't. It's already, it's already been delivered. We did that on purpose. 
So anytime you can use visuals rather than text is incredibly powerful, it, particularly if you're using uh, disruptive visuals that are very different. I am just, again, talking from a marketing standpoint, because if you're in, in the business of hypnotherapy, I guarantee you, you have to market, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's much more powerful if you can have images that show what you do versus tell people what you do. Show and tell is best. But and here's a really simple example. Um, I worked with a a couple of fellows here that run a contracting company, they do home renovations. That's what they do. And we worked on a number of stuff to help build their business. But one of the things I did was I said, do you guys have a sign? Do you put a sign out, you know, when you're doing construction, like ABC contractor, when you're remodeling a kitchen? And they said, yeah, we do. And it was just a typical builder sign. Now, at the time, they were not well known in this area. I live in Guelph, Canada here. We have uh, Kitchener-Waterloo-Cambridge. They were in Cambridge. They weren't well-known. I said, what we're going to do is something incredibly disruptive so that we get you guys noticed. So I had them build a nine-foot, like three-meter handsaw sign, look like a huge handsaw like you'd see in a kid's playground. And it had their company name on it. It said Caliber Contracting, no phone number. And I said, put this outside when you're doing a, your next contracting job. Because they said, what happens when people are driving by, they don't have the time to process your name and phone number and all that stuff. The sign tells them immediately, subconsciously, what you do. Everybody knows what a saw is for. So what happened is people started pulling over to take pictures of the sign. because they, they And there was no phone number, which forced them to go on the internet, to go into Google, and it drove up their ratings in Google. <laughs> and within literally a month and a half, they became really, really well-known. In fact, today, they are the number one contractor in this area, bar none. But So they, that, they created a kind of cliffhanger because they didn't give their phone number or email or their website. Correct. Because, the, yeah. again, the primal brain loves curiosity. I think you said that a few minutes ago. Yeah. So curiosity. I even have a curiosity script that I use for opening up talks. I, I'll say to people, have you ever wondered why this and it'll be something that people, you know, it's like, have you ever wondered why the toilet paper is always on the wrong way? <laughs> Some silly little thing like that that people can identify with. But the main point was to create visuals as much as possible in our communications or paint pictures with our words. Because mm -hmm. our brain thinks in pictures and then speaks in words. And we tend to do the opposite. If we paint pictures and tell stories, that's why stories are so incredibly powerful. Stories have been around before cave paintings. And I think it's important to remember that, that stories connect us. I mean, we all hear that, but I tell people, becoming a masterful storyteller is an incredibly potent tool because somebody can relate to where you are. You can take them back and say, from an empathetic standpoint, empathy is incredibly powerful. We don't have to beat people up in pain all the time. We can say, listen, I've been there. I get it. I, I have been there. Trust me. And here's where you want to go. So here's what I did. Here's the bridge. Let's you and I walk across this bridge together. Because I've been. I'm here now, but I've been there. So I think that's an empathetic storytelling standpoint is, you know, people are here, but they want to go here. 
if we can put ourselves back in an empathy place and carry them over the bridge with us, we immediately create that trust and believability and the likability. And then there's that emotional bond because people, people have to not only, they have to believe you, they have to believe in you. They have to believe that you can actually do this thing. Then they have to believe that that thing will work for them. And then they have to believe that they can do it. So there's like five levels of belief that we have to be mindful of when you're working with any client, whether you're working in a sales process or whether you're actually working with them as a client to move them from less to more, whether it's losing weight or whatever their challenge is. So those are five levels of belief. They have to believe you. They have to believe in you. They have to believe that you can do this thing. They have to believe that your thing will work and they have to believe that it will work for them. And then I can do this stuff. So there's like five or six of those in there. It's like a little checkbox. And if you do that, if you bear that stuff in mind, you're going to be way more effective, way more effective. Building belief is so important. Belief, trust, likability. If people don't like you, they won't take action. <laughs> it's just that simple. They don't always have to like you. Sometimes you can push them, but there still has to be that framework there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we look at something like people's presence online, it's so important to keep all of this in mind because I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in business who waste the, the prime real estate of their web presence on some beautiful stock photo that really has nothing to do with their business. Yeah. When they have that split second to get somebody's attention and get them yep. curious enough to learn more. Stock so photos, that, by the way, are the primal brain just tunes them right out. Right. Same with stock video footage. Mm -hmm. It goes, oh, I've seen that before. Like doing, doing your own yeah. kind of nitty gritty stuff is the best stuff and your own personal photos. If you, if you are going to use sort of a stock photo, what I tell people is get a professional Photoshop artist and make it disruptive some way. I'll give you a really quick example. I was uh, talking with the CEO of an investment firm. They do research. And I went to their webpage and I was like, oh, this is just completely egocentric. It's all about here's the awards we've won. And it doesn't tell you anything about how they do what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have big clients. And so... I sent them over. I just took I took a stock photo of a man walking off a cliff blindfolded. And then it said, or choose XYZ company. That's it. That's the message. Or choose us. That's it. Because the message is instantaneous. Either you walk off a cliff blind or you hire us. And he was like, what? How did you do that? And I came up with five more, five more images like that. I had one with a lady with a crystal ball. You know, or choose us because, <laughs> you know, guessing is not research. So you're bringing them to the decision and you're making the emotion of it intense, like that. Yeah. You go one direction or the other. That's right. And part of part of what appeals to the primal brain is not only stuff that's memorable and disruptive, which is why I use the saw sign. Okay. Anything unusual is memorable. It's whoa. What, what's with that? That's really strange. You know, um, or also something that is really obvious. You make it really, really obvious. Using an image like that is really disturbing, but it makes it very obvious. And that's what differentiates. Because if we look, sound, and smell like everybody else, you're going you're gonna to get lumped into that group, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of different things like that, yeah. 
What do you, so give us some examples of what, what you mean by making it really obvious. Well, particularly, like I said, in, in imagery, um, when I'm talking about neuromarketing, I'll use some pretty shocking, like shocking images. I, I had one, I had a, uh, an image that I posted and it has a medieval knight standing there with a sword, you know, in the old tin can and the armor. <laughs> and it says traditional marketing is medieval. Hmm. That that's being really disruptive. So you're because, making a strong statement, and, yes. and it's with the visuals. Yes, correct. You see, in the internet today, as you know, the YouTube is filled with how-to videos, and they're all content, content. Mm -hmm. But are people content with your content? <laughs> so there's a lot of how-to stuff out there. What is infinitely more valuable and you, I, um, I don't know. Probably in your study of NLP, were you taught the sleight of mouth patterns? Are you familiar with mm -hmm. that? Okay. Yeah. So, okay, that's that stuff is so cool, right? So, what is sleight of mouth? Sleight of mouth is what is there's like fourteen or fifteen different ways of shifting a perspective, right? And that I would argue that shifting someone's perspective is far more valuable than a how to. So mm -hmm. if you are in your field, rather than just saying, well, here's how to, you know, lose weight, you change, you shift somebody's perspective. Now, sleight of mouth, boy, that's powerful stuff because you can 180 somebody's belief system instantly. And beliefs are very tricky, as you know, because beliefs aren't necessarily facts. They're just assumptions that we presume are facts. And people don't like having their facts challenged <laughs> But with sleight of mouth, and this is what I'm really doing here. I want I want to be a bit controversial. I want to get raise your ire. I want you to get whoa what? And when you when you challenge when you and I'm doing that from a sense of values. These are my values. I really do believe this. This is a game changer in 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 communications. And in marketing and sales, because we help people get what they want faster with less friction. And so I'm going to say your stuff is obsolete. And I, I, pardon my language, pissed off more than a few marketing guys saying that. But their bosses were listening because it was, whoa, I've never heard anybody talk like that before. And so I, I kind of built uh, my reputation for, I'm, listen, I'm a super friendly, approachable, nice guy, but I'm very opinionated. And it's those opinions that got me to the stage in, in 24 countries because I was saying things differently uh, using some sleight of mouth. I still haven't mastered those. I, I love that stuff, though. It's, that's incredibly powerful technology. Mm -hmm. So if I could say one thing is make your message, give a viewpoint, put a viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And I, when I post things on social media, I'm quite often giving a viewpoint. And I'll get people, oh, I don't agree with you. I don't care if you don't agree. I'm not here to gain agreement. I'm here to go show you a different perspective because I'm only like in business terms of clients. And I'm sure you'd agree with this. We only are looking for people who are looking for us. We're That's only right. looking for the people who are looking for us. So I want my message to be very clear. I'm not trying to attract everybody. I'm just trying to attract somebody who's looking for this type of viewpoint. If that That's makes right. sense. If you yeah. want to catch the right kind of fish, you got to use the right kind of bait. It's really Bingo. how we say and, it. Yeah, yeah, and you can't be afraid of 
offending somebody. You know, we live in a you know cancel culture here today. Yes. But people who have strong opinions are valuable because they force us to look at things a different way. And that's, in, you know, two people think the same way. One of them is not necessary, <laughs> as the adage goes. So right. there's so many parallels between what we do. I'm kind of just giving people the signs behind it. And like I said, I've created an entire framework of utilizing this stuff. One of the things I'm just finishing working on now is um, it's kind of like it's a tool for building websites or presentations or pitch decks. And all it is is a list of what you need to be neuromarketing friendly, brain friendly. And then the neuro part is really how to deliver it. So here's what the brain needs to make decisions. And here's how it needs to be served up on the platter so that it gets into the old brain. Man. <laughs> so, right. Awesome. So I think that's going to be a very, very powerful tool because I've bas basically systemized and codified what has worked for me for years. And mm -hmm. uh, that brought me in over a thousand clients to my investment company that I brought in personally. So I know it works. That's exciting stuff. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. All right, great. So is there anything else you think would be beneficial for people to know about? Well, I think, again, just some of those key key points is um, to remember that the decisions are made subconsciously. So yes, we need facts and figures, but we also have to remember to be emotionally engaged. And we do have to understand the subconscious underpinnings of it's friend versus foe, friend versus foe. I mean, neuroscience can get incredibly complicated, but at the end of the day, it's just how can we deliver this and how, how do we help people get out of their own way? Because most of the sales, most of the sales resistance or uh, just friction or resistance we get, period, is because people have fears. And they, the most important thing I could tell you is people will rarely raise those fears to you. They may not even be consciously aware of them. Quite often they're not. You have to be consciously aware if you're the person trying to help them move from less to more. That's incredibly important. That, that was the greatest discovery I had made was once I started raising these limiting beliefs or false beliefs or false, like here's an example in hypnosis, for example, a false assumption is that, oh, that's all woo woo. I don't believe in that stuff, right? Even though there's years and piles of research to support it. But if somebody has that false assumption and you don't deal with it, you've lost the game. You can't move forward. So, you know, one of the things I would say is like, now I know I know you may be thinking, yeah, you know, hypnosis, that's all that woo-woo, you know, David Cotton. Well, David Copperfield's not a hypnotist, <laughs> but yeah, it's like that's all that woo-woo stuff where they make funny people do on stage. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a jackass out of myself in front of people because that's the showbiz perception. And if you don't deal with that, if you're in hypnosis, you have to get that elephant out of the way. Or they may have a fear like, well, I, you know, now, you may be thinking, well, if you're in hypnosis, I'm going to say something that I don't want to say. I, like, it's buried in there for a reason. I don't want that to come out by accident. You know, that would be a fear of mine. What if I have something buried in there that I don't want to talk about? <laughs> can, can, can you make is This is like, you know, yes, we're going to answer some questions here. You know, is it that type <laughs> of thing? So if you don't address those fears, um, 
you will have a breakdown in communication, obviously, or you'll lose the client and you won't know why. Cause well, gee whiz, I thought they were convinced, but it's like one niggling thing, a limiting belief, a false belief, a false assumption, if you don't deal with it. So the greatest thing I could tell you as a tool, think back to all your clients and, and really pay attention to what those fears or objections may have been. Make a list for yourself and you have to deal with them. Some are external false beliefs. You know, like I said, that's a false assumption about your industry. That could be a stereotype. So think in terms of stereotypes, false assumptions, limiting beliefs, false beliefs. And if you can make a list of there and one by one systematically deal with them by bring. And some people may say, well, no, actually, that wasn't a concern of mine. Okay, great. You know. Mm-hmm. And, but that is the most powerful revelation, I can tell you. That made a massive difference for me in business. And anyone I've taught that technique to has seen an immediately uh, immediate gain in, in clients and engagement mm-hmm. and, and, and the progress and the results they get. Because those are most of the stumbling blocks. And, and, and then you can get in there and you can use your reframing. You can use things like sleight of mouth or you know, future pacing, what, whatever techniques you're using, for example. But mm-hmm. you got to get that that clutter, that subconscious clutter out of the way, because that is the the primal brain putting on the spread bait. That's why people are uh, people are afraid of salespeople. It's, they don't want to be sold because you're going to cost me time. You're going to cost me money. If if my, my my wife get mad at me, you know, I might emotionally or physically healthy. This might screw me up strategically. So it's always a fear of resources. Are yeah. you you really have to be worth it? It's like the primal brain is going, I don't know if you're worth it or not. Like you really got to be worth it. (laughs) Right. So, so we can all have a genuine smile and then there also has to be real value there. And the client has to know, they know intuitively and subconsciously about that value. Yeah. You really have to paint that bright future picture. That is really important. You know what? Because you know, this is true, Robbie. If somebody doesn't want thing anything, there's nothing you can do. They're like, forget it. It's not worth it. But mm-hmm. if they want something badly enough, they'll crawl over broken last. <laughs> so, but it's up and to you some, to be able to paint that belief and that 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 aspirational future. So that's, that's right. Because they're not going to crawl across broken glass if they don't think it's going to get them anywhere. But if they believe right. it well and it's yeah. what they really want, then then it's a different story. So exactly. yeah, so we do a lot of we call this vaccinating against sabotage, where we're bringing up where could they sabotage themselves and, uh-huh. and address that. So yeah, so it's it's uh, really interesting to hear it from your angle. Well, there's that. Now you know the science behind it. And again, you know, self sabotage. Usually, there there may be some kind of cognitive bias causing that because we have human beings are terribly flawed thinkers. I mean, there's something like a hundred. I think there's a hundred and eighty eight cognitive biases. I I work with about probably about six half dozen eight of them in business. Like, for example, here's a really simple one, and this may be useful to you. It's called curse of knowledge, which means that because I know something, I assume everybody knows what I know. And that's a big problem for us as business people because we get frustrated like, well, why didn't they buy from me? 
It's obvious who the obvious choice is. Well, it is to you, but it's not to them. That's called cursive knowledge. So that's why I say on your website, you really have to say, here's what I can do for you very specifically and very in your face and very obvious as fast as possible. Because like you said, you got two seconds. What can you do for me? This, you know, mm -hmm. I, I said it to, I, to the investment CEO. I said, let me ask you a question. What is one sale worth to you? I don't, I don't know what the dollar, let's say it's called $20,000 because you're a big company. How much does it cost? If you lose one sale, how much is it going to cost you? 20 grand. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you stop losing that 20,000, but not just one of them, all of them. And he's like, where do I sign? <laughs> this is yeah, very, that's very an clear. easy decision right there. Yeah, because it's consequential, right? Yeah. I, I did both sides of the spectrum. What's the gain? Well, what's the loss if you don't act? So heaven and hell, right? Very, very simple. So in terms of consequences, that's for, for your audience, a great way to cut through. Don't talk about features and benefits. Don't talk about all your degrees and certificate. They don't care. They will afterwards. They'll care afterwards because that authority and credibility is important to trust. Okay. But we don't start with that. It's like, here's what we're going to do. You're here for a reason. You've got this problem. Now, if you do this, here's going to be your bright, beautiful picture. But let me ask you this. If you don't do this, what's hell going to look like? Because <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> yeah. And that's the right there. That technique right there is the fastest way through it. When I talk to business people, I just say, how much money do you want to keep losing? And they're like, what? I said, this isn't about making more sales. It's about plugging your leaky bucket. You got a leaking bucket right now. I'm here to plug it. And like, whoa, wow, okay, tell me more. So I've given them a strong visual because they're like, see all that money going, <laughs> you know, it's pouring into the bucket that's draining out yeah. the bottom. Because if you're losing sales, penny saved, penny earned, you know. In fact, mm -hmm. the loss sale is more, more expensive because it costs a lot of money to acquire customers. So, you know, things like that. Deal with their belief systems. Look at, give them a very clear visual of heaven and hell. Make sure they can understand how you can take them over and that they can make it. Like deal with those five beliefs. Believe in you. Believe you. Believe that they can do it. Believe it'll work for them. Believe that they can do it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So those are powerful, powerful ticks. You, you really don't need that many of these. Just a little handful will make a tr tremendous difference. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much, Les. This was a lot of fun. And it was really interesting to see your take on this. I definitely learned some some cool things. And I would love to see that list you put together. That chart Oh, the brain chart. Mentioned. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see that. And, and if it's all right with you, we could share it with our audience so people sure. can... Uh, apply that. And yeah, yeah. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And if, if people want to learn more about you and what you can do for them, how do they reach you? Well, you can, um, I haven't had a website up for a while because I have I basically was so in demand. I never needed one. <laughs> it's like, because I did most of my work by referral, but you can find me on, on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook at Les Evans Official. Same thing at Instagram at I am Les Evans Official. You can contact me or any of those, or you can just email me directly, which is just lesis at iCloud.com. L-E-S-I-S. -S. It's a really simple email. And awesome. um, if you if you want a consultation, I usually give people a free consultation for 20 or 30 minutes. 
if they just want to have an exploration or find out more or if, if this can be helpful. But certainly anybody who applies even just a little bit of this stuff, it will make a tremendous difference in, in the reaction you get from people and your conversions and your sales. Like I said, you'll get more sales and no question. It's kind of neuromarketing is kind of like what detergent is to water. Detergent makes water wetter and neuromarketing makes marketing better. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I like it. That's very memorable. Yeah, I try. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. Good. And if anybody wants to learn more about how hypnosis and NLP training can help you with marketing, advertising, sales, or just helping people change with hypnosis, which really is the same kind of communication, um, you can go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com. We have some free giveaways there to help you learn more. And then we do also offer a free consultation to see if this is a good fit for you. So you can go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com. And I'd highly recommend that, by the way, because I use a lot of that stuff personally. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I know. <laughs> and, and so does it do a lot of marketers and advertisers because they know it works. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's our natural, our natural superpower ability that we're all learning how to use better and better. So, mm -hmm. yeah, great. So it was great to have you here. Thanks so much, Les. If you are feeling stress, fear and worry or debating yourself in your head, Tune into next week's podcast. A professional musician and hypnotist will be joining us to share how music and hypnosis helped him escape this trap and be more relaxed and confident everywhere in his life. And if you're wanting to discover more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others to benefit from the podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation.